0: All right, Um, I want to encourage you to take out your Bible. Um, We are um, kind of in our sermon series, No Rock to Throw. Um, It's uh, obviously taken from a scripture. Uh, The title is taken from a scripture, um, um, and I won't get into the story because it's not part of what's going on today. Um, But here's the deal. This is about no rocks to throw, okay? The gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to people. It is not a club to beat people with. It is not a hammer to hammer people with, and it certainly is not a rock to throw at people to stone them to death. Last week, We talked about stoning, what it meant, where it came from, how it is, what took place, how it happened, all the things, even a couple of the the laws in the book of Leviticus that talked about why they um, took place, okay? But the fact of the matter is, we are here to talk about some of the things that we need to talk about um, as a community, a Christian community, a community of Christ followers in a culture that is assaulting us, and I'm not trying to pick a fight, and I'm certainly not trying to throw rocks, because I learned a long time ago that people who throw rocks, of people who throw rocks, are people who are throwing rocks. See? And so we don't have to do that. But it doesn't mean we back down from the truth. It doesn't mean we go out and make everybody live the way we want them to live. It means that we have to have the opportunity to say that God is inviting you into a new life, and that's what we want to do. I also am very aware as a pastor, um, 30 years in now, this will be my 31st year, that um, there's a scripture Uh, in the book of James in chapter three in verse one. And that scripture very clearly says, don't you know that those of you who would be teachers will be judged more harshly than everybody else? Okay, what that says to me is that God is warning me you had better get this right. Remember I shared a scripture from James, And James, excuse me, from Paul. And Paul said, I think it's the church in Galatia, he says, if anybody preaches a gospel other than the one we preach to you, may he be eternally damned. And it's like, wow, that's a heavy word when you look it up. And that's a scary thing for a pastor. I have to live with that. Is, is my soul saved? Yes. Does that mean that, judge, uh, that Jesus doesn't have some things to say to me? He will have some things to say to me if I don't get this right. So today, I need to get this right so you hear it. The only thing that matters, and you hear this over and over at the vineyard, the only thing that matters is what does the Bible say about what the Bible says. doesn't matter what Joe Wood believes. What matters is what does the Bible naturally say about what the Bible says And that's what we're after. So I want to invite you to go to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read a passage from Genesis chapter 1. If you're there on your phone, if you've got a Bible, that's great. It will always show up up here. But I'm always encouraging you get handy with the Bible. It's just fun. I like to hang on to one to read. It's just fun to turn pages and mark it up. But I want to go to Genesis, and I want to go to chapter 1. I want to look at the two um, scriptures that recount the creation of Adam and Eve, and that's what I want to deal with today. I want to talk about we don't have any rock to throw at people that live or believe other than this scripture, okay? That's not what we're trying to do, What we're trying to do is invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ that has an understanding of what's referred to as a parisos life. I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm talking about John 10, 10. I have come that you might have a life and have it parisos, have it abundantly, okay? God still can say no to you, but if you look up that word, that word means vehemently, abundantly more than those around you, and that should describe our life in Jesus Christ If we're following Jesus instead of our own fleshly desires. Genesis chapter 1, beginning of verse 26, and reading through the end of the chapter. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God had created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing creature Plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and there was the sixth day. That is the end of God creating creation on the seventh day he rested. And so the pinnacle of his creation was Adam and Eve. Now let me jump down to Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. The scripture says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded... Uh, excuse me, and the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Helper suitable or suitable helper is one word. That's what we're focusing on today. A suitable helper, and I would encourage you to circle that. I'm going to share the Greek with me, the the um, yeah, the Greek with you. We're going to look at what it means, and we're we'll look at why it means what it means, and then we're going to press into it. Okay, so the Lord said it is not. Um, Good for him to be alone. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. There's a whole other sermon there. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no Suitable helper, helper suitable was found for him. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep while he was sleeping, and excuse me, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the uh, place with flesh, and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And that's the passage that I want to look at today, and I want to look at some of the words that are in here. And when it's all said and done, I want to talk about some things that it's okay to push back on, but I do not have a rock to throw. I have an invitation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to me in my filthy sin, just like anybody else in this world. First of all, what's the first thing you notice in this passage? As you begin to read, the word Genesis means beginning. So in the beginning, I don't know what Hyundai was thinking when they created a Genesis, because that wasn't the beginning. GM had been building cars long before that. So that's a whole other sermon as well. But what's the first thing you you notice? The first thing that I notice in this thing is the Scripture says, then God said, let us. As a young Christian man in 1977 who began to read his Bible, I looked at that and I thought, it says us. It says us right there. Let us uh, create man in our image. And in our image we will create him. And, And there it is. And I began to understand and look at this thing. The word there is Elohim. Okay? The word El means God. So whenever you read your Bible and you're reading it, it says like Bethel or Bethel, okay, that's Bethel. Okay, it means house of God. El is God. And so if you go into the Old Testament, you'll see a whole lot of names that are like L something. Okay, but it means the God of okay? Elohim is one of those gods. Elohim means God who is all powerful in creation, in making things happen. Give you an example. We really do not know the name of God. Jehovah is not really the the actual name of God, okay? Except that we know that that, uh, Moses came to God and he said, tell me your name. And he said, okay, I'm going to tell you, whole my, whole." I don't think he he had the ability to write it fast enough, okay? I am the Lord, the Lord, infinite, it in mercy and grace and wisdom and knowledge, and he just goes on and on and on for a couple of seconds. It's like, write that down, Moses. Write that down. But most often when you're reading your Bible, and I don't know if you've ever seen one of those cards that has the names of God on it, the names of God have to do with how God interacted with somebody. For instance, Jehovah. OK? Jehovah. Abraham interacts with God, and on the mountain it was provided. So that's the name he gave God. On the mountain, the Lord God will provide. And he worshiped on the mountain, the Lord will, God will provide. And pretty soon we find the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's, list, he's, he's referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? And they begin to follow him. So, so you see that going on. Well, Elohim, El is God, but the I am at the end of it, okay, is actually plural. And so we say, wow, We really don't know very much about God in all reality except what he reveals to us in his scripture. I don't know if he sits in a lounge chair. I don't know if he sits down. I think I know that he doesn't sleep because the psalmist said he neither sleeps nor he slumbers. Okay? So I know that. But I don't know. Does he have a toaster? I do not know. Because I was created by him, I did not create him. And so I only know what he reveals to me. Now, as we look at the the Hebrew Bible, or what's referred to as the Tanakh, not the Torah, okay? I'm talking about the the Torah, the wisdom literature, the minor prophets, the major prophets, all of that, the Hebrew Bible. The word Elohim is used of God uh, 2,570 times, I believe, uh, approximately that many times. And so that's how many times he's referred to as Elohim. Does it matter? Yes, it matters. God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, And so um, as God created us in his image, we bear the image of God. Now, I will be somebody that will tell you that believes with all of my heart, not just in our character. I don't believe that it's just in our emotions, our relationships, but I believe physically. In in my head, I believe that God does, in fact, have two legs, two arms, and a head. I I just believe he does. I believe we were created in the image of God. I know I'm anthropomorphized anthropomorphizing God if i can spit that word out today which just means i'm attributing humanistic characteristics to God but i believe i was created in his image but then God said adam's all alone and it's not good for adam to be all alone so we need to make a suitable helper for him and that word is azer okay e z e r but pronounced a y hyphen z e r azer he said let's make him an azer Adam needs an Azer. Let's let's get him an Azer. Let's get him a suitable helper. And that is Strong's Concordance word number fifty-eight twenty-eight. And I and you're like, what is fifty-eight twenty-eight? It doesn't matter say, what is a concordant? It's just a book that tells you how many times a word is used, but it also tells you what it's used as, so as you're reading down through it, you get a better sense of what that word means, and that word has to be, um, it has more to do with powerful creator than subservient woman. Now I've got your attention. Wow. see some head snap up now. <laughs> Where's he going with this? I'm just telling you. This is the word used for the Holy Spirit of God, who is God in the Old Testament, Azer. It's the same word that God used for um, um, Eve when he wanted to create a suitable helper, okay? When he said we need to help, in Genesis chapter 2, God said it's not good for the man to be alone. Let's make a suitable helper. That is somebody to walk alongside, not somebody to boss around, but somebody to work alongside of us. In Psalm 33 uh, to 22, it says we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our azer, our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. We trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So God is our help. He's our azer. It's a term used to describe the power and the help or the power and the, and the provision of God in our lives when the enemy's coming against, uh, against us. It's a word used, just hang on this if, if you're tired of me beating this horse to describe God, okay? The word he used to describe creating a suitable helper for Adam is the word most often used in the Old Testament by God to describe himself. I'm not saying women are gods. (laughs) Some of you are looking at your wives now. It's like, lighten up, (laughs) okay? Lighten up just a little tiny bit there, okay? I'm just saying the role. So we recognize that we all need suitable helpers, definitely, and God created Eve as a strength or a power, but not to be subservient. It was God's all, plan all along that we are to be equals. He put together a heterosexual couple, each bringing different aspects of God to the creation. And from that, the plan of God became, or began to unfold on this earth. It was the plan of God that the family is very obviously the cornerstone of that creative plan to create a world. And the family was going to be just that. And in doing that, he created one man and he created one woman. And that's how he did that. The book of Genesis says, Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For all the earth, not the Jewish All the nations will be blessed. It was Abraham's responsibility to get the word out about God. It's right there. Okay? For I have chosen him that he will direct. His children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is just and right, so that the Lord will bring about for Adam what He has promised him. So the very the very plan of God is beginning to unfold on this earth. Not that it didn't through Adam, not that it didn't through Eve and their children, not that it didn't through Cain, and Abel, and Seth, not that it didn't that it didn't through Noah. But the plan of God is so visible in his relationship to Abraham when he says, I want you to be godly people. I want you to raise godly children. And I want you to push back, it would say, against this world because I want you to teach the nations of this world. I don't want them teaching you. I want you to teach them. And so we see this going on. The family's obviously the cornerstone of his creative plan. Number two, a spousal relationship was to reflect God's love, care, provision, and protection for his bride. That was, that was the plan Uh, marriages are supposed to be a reflection of God's relationship to his creation he's the groom we are the bride see see how that works that's those are God's words those are not my words don't take my word for it God did this not Joe Wood no rock to throw, so don't throw rocks at me, please, okay? This is God's plan. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And look what he says. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about husbands and wives. And yet he, he, he did a little discourse on husbands and wives, and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm talking you. This is how my relationship to you people is going to be. That's what God's saying. One man. One woman in union, reflecting God. One man does not reflect the character of God. One woman does not reflect the character of God. Together they reflect the character of God, each bearing a different part. So men and women were created different to complement each other, not to compete with each other. To complement each other. And I would say, husbands, are you encouraging your spouse? To succeed and fly and do things, wives, are you encouraging your spouse to succeed and fly and capture the world? My wife was a stay-at-home mom for 18 years, and uh, before it got to 18 years, she came to me and said, "I want to go to college." I said, "Go to college. Why do you want to go to college? We got a good thing going on. It's all good. We lived in western Oklahoma, you know, raising horses, chasing cattle, preaching on Sundays." It was great, and she said, I want to go to college, and I said, well, there's a college straight down that road, 10 miles, Southwestern Oklahoma State University. I said, go. I wanted to see her dream come true, and then she came home, and she goes, I want to get a master's degree, and it's like, oh, really? (laughs) I've been to school for four years with you so far. (laughs) The kids, and we had five kids, and it's like, okay, and she's like, I want a master's degree. Why? I want to teach at the high school. She starts on her master's, and it's like, yeah, I don't want to teach at the high school, She's like, I want to teach it to college where I'll tell college students whatever I want to say and I'll tell them how it is and then I'll go back and sit in my office and who cares what they think. <laughs> and I don't have to go to their football games and work the concession stand. <laughs> it's like, well, there's a plan. There's like four more years of college. I went to school for nine years with my wife while I was preaching and taking care of kids. Listen, don't you want to see your spouse's dreams come true? I made that girl's dad a promise 40 years ago. I said, I'm going to make her feel like the most important person on the planet. That's going to be my goal for the rest of her life. And if she says she wants the moon, then my George, we're getting on SpaceX. We'll do it. I'll sell the car, rent the dogs. I won't sell them. <laughs> rent the dogs, and we'll move on. But I made a promise to her when I said, love, honor, adore, and, and make her feel like the most important person in the world. The Scripture says in Ephesians um, 5.2, 22 and 25, these words. Let me just put them together for you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands and wives, submit to each other. And then it says in verse 22, Wives, submit submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Okay? Don't like that word, do we? We are a a rebellious people. Don't tell me what to do. My wife's not in here, so I can say this, okay? So she said, on my tombstone, if I die before you, which is not going to happen, okay, um, and if it's suspicious, just let it go, okay? Just let it go. Um, But she said, my tombstone is going to say, you're not the boss of me, okay? I told her that I'm going to put on her tombstone, I told you not to go first, okay? And she's like, well, you're not the boss of me. I'll say, I'm convinced that she's going to get that sucker paid for without me knowing, you know. And if I'm still around, somebody's going to call me and say, we've already got that done. And it's going to say you're not. We don't like to be bossed around. We don't like to be told what, because that's who we are. We are rebellious, God says. And we've got to submit. But look at what says here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is no better picture of how a husband is to lead his home than that statement right there. Get off the throne. Stop saying, I'm the husband, I said so. Get down and wash her feet. Serve your children. Not just go make a living and go fishing or hunting. I love fishing and hunting. And some of you haven't asked me to go yet. But you should think about it. It's from the Lord. That's a prophetic word. Um, But I'm just saying, husband loves your wife. God got off the throne in the person of Jesus Christ and came down to this planet and washed our feet, our dirty, nasty, awful feet. God in heaven almighty, who is Jesus Christ, washed his disciples' dirty, nasty feet and then stood up and said, you saw me do this to you. Now this is what you need to be doing. So when we say, well, I'm the husband, you're not walking in Christ. You're walking in rebellion. I want to encourage you. We complement each other. We don't compete with who gets or who's right. We don't do that. So it begins with submitting to each other. Men's reflections, we reflect the aspects of God. We do. Men's reflections tend to be physical. They're stronger. They're providers. They're warriors. They're hunters. They're conquerors. They are protective. Okay? And I'm for that. I'm for that. But you want to talk about men being powerful and strong. Give me a break. Have you ever seen a man catch a cold? Holy cow, he catches a cold, and his wife's like nine months pregnant. She's about to go into labor, and he's like, listen, this hurts. You don't understand. And she's like, no, I guess I don't. And he's like, I I know you're in labor, but are are we not having dinner first? Are you not going to make me some dinner? You know, it's like, wow, come on. Women tend to reflect God because they are strong. They are insightful. They are. They are nurturing. They are caring. This is not better or worse, it's just different. Okay? They are empathetic. They are long-suffering. They are smart. They are tenacious. They are full of wisdom and a teacher and a business partner and a buyer and a manufacturer and a real estate mogul and a planner and more. Let's be honest. Have you ever read the second half of Proverbs 31? Come on. I have heard so many preachers. And women were less than dogs back in that day. You know, dogs were here and women were here. And so, you know, you could, you know. And it's like, wait a second. Have you read Proverbs 31? That woman does so much. She is a captain of industry. And her husband sits at Walmart and just tells everybody, have you seen my wife? Huh? Check that out right there. Okay. It's happening. It's happening right there. Get you one of those. Huh? But not that one okay, but get you one of those. Uh, Seriously, that's what it says. This idea that women are just supposed to be boss it's nonsense. Where do we get it? Except the history of saying that's how it is. The picture is we live in a world that was created by God. God created a man, and God created a woman, and that's what God wants, and that's the deal. I don't say that because I'm Joe Wood and have a particular bent wasn't raised in a Christian home, wasn't raised in a godly home, wasn't raised in a home that had light in it. It was dark. It was dark. But I understand when I do a natural reading of the scripture that God created one man and God created one woman. And then we begin to fast forward in our rebelliousness that is picking up speed. Tell me if I'm wrong. Our rebelliousness as a culture that's picking up speed doing some just simple research with the World Health Organization or Dr. Mehu from the Johns Hopkins um, Psychiatry Department or Dr. Van Meter from the American College of Pediatricians. We see that people are popping up in about 2013, 2014, 2015 with this transgendered thing that we see going on. Listen to me. I have no rock to throw at people different than me. That is not what I'm interested in doing, and the church needs to knock it off. They do. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation, not a means of ridiculing people, regardless of where they are. But Dr. Van Meter's statement is that transgender is actually a delusional disorder. He's not being negative. He is a psychiatrist. He's using the words for what they mean. And his point is we need to help people. It's a state of mind with no biological basis for it and no biological basis for it can be found. Since about 2015, the culture has decided that there are more than two genders. And listen to me, there aren't. I, 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 I can't say anything different. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just telling you there's only two genders. There's not 24. There's not 30. There's not 18, there's two. There's male and there's female. And it's biology. And it's settled at birth. It it, it is. I'm not saying, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay? Church culture, excuse me, our culture demanded that there has to be more, but that's not science. Church culture and um, world culture do not dictate truth. Okay? It dictates preference. But not truth. All right? Because we're quick to call truth whatever culture we like, right? had a, 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 somebody fired, tried to fire me up this morning. They didn't know it, but they tried to fire me up this morning. I popped open my social media to put a little post about come to church because that's what pastors do. Come to church. Okay. And so I'm posting my little, come to church. And all of a sudden I see this thing that says, listen, I love me some praise and worship music. That's all good. And I'll sing some of this other stuff, stuff. But if we could just get back to hymns in the red hymnal, we would see our country change and the world would be better. And it's like, have you noticed that everybody only wants to, to go back to hymns in the 1700s. They don't want to go back to the year 300 where it was Gregorian chants, we love Jesus and he loves us. Nobody wants to go back to that. They want to go back to Fanny Crosby. And Some of you are like, well, who's Fanny Crosby? Are they like Sanctus real but not real? It's like, no, no. Fanny Crosby was a songwriter in the 1700s in early colonial America, okay? Yeah, they only want to go that far back. You know why? Because it's a preference. It's not a truth. It's a preference. The scripture says, sing to the Lord a new song. (laughs) He don't want to hear the same top 40 that he was hearing 2,000 years ago. It's like, oh, man, could you sing something else? Have you ever had a child? Have you ever had a child that just wants to listen to Bluey? Over and over and over, okay? Come on. You know, I mean, I had a brother and um, we went to sleep and it was, um, okay, Lord, you don't want me to do it because I can't remember the opening line, but we're there. Okay, there it is. Um, But the idea is that men or women were created to complement each other, and that's what we need to focus on. Truth is truth. Biology is biology. Homosexual, transgender, gay, lesbian are words that depict a lifestyle that is separate from God not a lifestyle we can throw rocks at that's wrong it's it's a struggle it's a it's a it's a it's, it's in our humanity we're broken and it's a brokenness it's just a different brokenness than my brokenness and we walk with each other to see it it's included seriously it's a word that depicts a lifestyle that's separate from God's plan and his will for his children but it's not because God's mad at people It's not God saying, well, I don't want you to have fun. I don't want you to enjoy life. I don't want you to have love. He's saying, I want you to have life and have it parisos, have it to its fullest. And that's not it. And that doesn't reflect my relationship to you. And I need it to. And so we recognize that those those, um, sins are listed in the Scripture along with gossip and lying and slander, creating divisions rebellion idolatry divorce stealing from god unforgiveness witchcraft murders the list goes on and on and on because it includes all of us because the scripture will show us front to back that every single one of us needs to change it's a lifestyle of change not a one time the transformation from old to new takes place and then we're off from glory to glory constantly changing to become more like Christ and we've got to be willing to do that. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercies to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. That's your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. The world does not dictate, the culture does not dictate truth. Look at the political situation in America. Man come on but he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means you have to do something about it. You do. You've got to push back. You've got to stop your own personal rebellion. Don't worry about everybody else's rebellion. Stop your rebellion, okay? Stop that. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So bottom line, I have no rock to throw. And the church needs to stop throwing rocks at people different than us. It's just that the truth of the Scripture says there's two genders, male and female, and I can't change that. I don't get to redefine sin. I just know that I sin, and I have to fight my sin, uh, heterosexual sin. I have to push back against that just like anybody else will. One man, one woman, potentially married, and I can't change that. Um, I I don't get to do that. I get to teach that. Take the emotional charge out of this cultural issue and and check this out. Alternative understandings of our sexuality are not conducive to Christianity. Two scriptures that we look at don't have sexual relationships with a man as a man uh, as one does a woman. That's detestable. Don't defile yourselves in any of these ways. Why? Because this is how the nations that I'm driving out before you did it. God isn't saying, because I'm trying to cut your fun off, your enjoyment, your pleasure in life. He says, because these nations that fought me, these are the things they did in their rebellion. And I love you. And I don't want that to happen to you. And then in Romans 1, it says, because of this, God gave them over to sinful, uh, shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were flamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty for their error. And so we see this picture. I show these scriptures with you. Share the, it's, it's just a simple reading, and what does it say? Now, listen, I've had people come to me and say, yeah, but in that Romans passage, what's that? Means there's little boys and da-da-da. no, no, no. The natural reading is what it says right there. And that does it include that? Yes, but you need to understand something. When they tell you that in, in Roman society this was okay, no, it wasn't. The Romans had a law against homosexuality, they just winked their eye at it the way we do speeding. You know, the law says 70. Want to know how fast my car goes? No, I, I don't mean that. Um, I'm just saying, we got to be careful of that. So understand this when it comes to the truth of the gospel. The Roman pagans were doing this is not an argument acceptable to God. No, it's not. It doesn't wash. You cannot change it. Last week we said that Christianity is defined as a person that changes their life and lifestyle to accept and conform to the teachings of God given through Jesus Christ. Six hundred and thirteen commandments in the Old Testament, but we're not Jews. We're Christians. Two commandments in the new one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Okay, so dance when you're worshiping. Oh no, no, you don't have to, but you, know, you can. And love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Anybody. Jesus answered that by basically saying, anybody that needs your help is your neighbor. Love them. Lying is not loving. I'm not throwing rocks. Lying is not loving. And so I can't do that. Christianity, therefore, has nothing to do with how we perceive we were born. All of us are rebellious sinners that Jesus came to save. And we're broken when Adam and Eve sinned against God. We inherited that DNA in our souls. We did. In all reality, you are born separated from God. You did not sin and then become separated from God. You were born rebellious in your nature, okay? But we're broken physically. Some people are born with one leg. I have a friend whose out, uh, insides were born on his outside. Good friend of mine. See? We're born broken. We're born broken emotionally. We're born broken relationally. We're born broken spiritually it only goes to understand that we're also broken psychosexually. And I'm not using that. I'm using that for what it actually means if you've done any mental health study. We're broken in our sexuality. A, a gay person, just as much as a hyperactive heterosexual that can't maintain a, a, a relationship but is counting up the body count, they call it, on how many people he slept with or she slept with in the last three or four or five or six years because they're not taking into account what God says about our human sexuality and what we're to do with it. And God said, keep it to yourself, okay? And those of us that cross that line, God forgives us. Move on. It's it's not an identity. (laughs) It's a sin. He forgave you. Don't make it your identity. Move on. He loves you. It has nothing to do with how we were born. Christianity doesn't celebrate brokenness and sin. It is the answer to it. It's the only answer. Jesus came as a result of the fall to pay for that sin. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise of coming back to get us, as some people understand slow. But he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. That's important. No one gets saved if there is no sin. There's no need for salvation. See, if we just redefine it, then there's no need for Jesus. That's not what we're called to. Christianity welcomes all sinners. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you to the woman, but invites them to leave their life of sin. We don't all struggle with the same sin, but we're all expected to struggle with our sin. And we can throw rocks at people that that are same sex attracted, but what are you going to do with the guy that's struggling with pornography? What are you going to do with the guy that's lying? What are you going to do with the guy that's cheating, not maybe sexually, but cheating with his boss, cheating on his taxes? What are you going to do with sinners? We all are called to come away from sin. Inviting people to leave their life of sin, when Jesus said, go now and leave your life of sin, admits that there's such thing as a life of sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. He loves you so much. For the wages of sin is death, and he doesn't stop on the negative. He takes you to the positive because the message is positive, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love you. I forgive you, that says. Amen. You and I are called to be transformed into the image of Christ. Somebody asked me this past week. They said, when you were a pastor, I'm doing a a, a leadership class, um, a preaching class on Wednesday mornings. And they said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. They said, did you ever used to do alliterations? And it's like, oh, if you just knew me. For the first 10 years of this church's life, I was so sick with alliterations. It was awful. It really was but one that landed on me like a gift from God and and just woke me up was this one from Romans 12 about the fact that you and I have been called to be transformed the realization of my salvation brings an expectation of transformation want me to do that again the realization of my salvation I know I'm saved Jesus died for me, he loves you loves me, brings an expectation of transformation. I don't do the things I used to do. I don't talk the way I used to talk. I don't do, I don't say, I don't eat, I don't snort, I don't drink, I don't chase, I don't sleep with, I don't. It changes who I am and brings a transformation so I have to live a lifestyle of change. I do as a Christian. I'm not pointing at the, um, the, the people that would fall into the category of gay. But I have to leave a li- live a lifestyle of change to reflect the teachings of Christ. And I believe this for every one of us. I don't get to live a lifestyle of sin by changing the teachings of Christ. I don't get to change Scripture. I don't get to change what it is. I don't get it change what it says I will be judged for telling you the truth or not telling you the truth when I meet Jesus and I'm I love you but not enough to lie to you I can't do that There are two genders Gender is a biological assignment at birth Your biology is not a mental construct but how you live it out could be and that's important We have no right to throw rocks at people different than us We're not that church that goes to um, um, funerals and just trashes people. We don't stand on the corner in the university on the soapbox, call people names as they walk by. We don't do that. That's not what Jesus does. I don't think Jesus was Amish either, but still, that's not what we do. We love people. The gospel of Jesus is an invitation into a new life, period. Not the same old life polished up and we need to share the truth and we need to walk with each other through this life I have friends that are alcoholics I'm a pastor so I get lots of friends honest to goodness young at the time 34 year old alcoholic and I walked with him 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 and I will continue to walk with him same thing is true of any other sin And I hope people will walk with me when I struggle. I cannot teach you not to sin. As the pastor, I want to teach you to get back up. Because Jesus has forgiveness for you. But the enemy, the devil, the accuser of men wants to trash you and kick you and label you and polarize you and push you out of community and call you all kinds of names. That's not the job of the church. And I would encourage you in that. Once you come to your feet, we're going to close out in this song, jump out of here. Sorry I went a little long, but we had a couple baptisms. Okay, you were here, you saw it. It's all good. Listen, I don't know what the Lord's been saying to you, and may have nothing to do with this message. But at the end of the service, we always have a time where if you just want prayer for something, you're facing a surgery or going through something, or you need more Jesus or the Holy Spirit in your life, you just want somebody to pray for you. We want to do that. So those of you on the prayer team, we're going to make a a shift back. Could you just come up here real quick? If you're on the prayer team this morning, could you just come up here? There you go. We'll kind of do it old school the way we used to do it. Just come on up. There you go. Good job, Christy. There you go. If you want prayer while we're singing this song, these people would like to pray with you. If you're like wondering, why is he even talking about this and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, listen to me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I know that. I have lived it, I have learned it, I have experienced that God has done amazing things in my personal life and my family's, my extended family's life as a result, all my brothers and sisters except one. It's been amazing. I'm just telling you. He's not wanting you to get cleaned up and come. He wants you to come and then let him walk with you and you will be changed. You can't not be. (laughs) Sorry about the double, double negative. You can't not be. You will be changed because he loves you so much and he's got so much in store for you, but you won't find it doing it your way. You'll find it doing it his way. So if you would like prayer for something or even to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these people are here for you during this song. Let's just pray. Fathers, we come before you right now. We recognize that we live in a broken and a hurting world. And it's getting darker and darker because people are lying to people. And I know it's the enemy. God, it's just heaven and hell having a battle. It's just the devil picking up the pace because we're getting closer and closer to the end of the age, God. And I know the trumpet's going to sound and it's going to be over, but right now, God, we've got work to do. And people that need an invitation, not a rock, not a hammer, not a sword, not a punch in the face, God, they need an invitation into a new life or at least into an, into an introduction to you. And I pray that we would be a people with no rock to throw but only the truth to share in love but still firmly and gently share the truth and invite people away from lifestyles and lives that are killing them. But be with us, God, because we are sinners too and I need you more today on my best day than I did on my worst day as well. I needed you then too. Be with us, Holy Spirit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.